Today's episode is all about play. We'll give you tips on how to set up your playroom, we'll talk about different types of play, and discuss how play helps with development. All this and more in today's episode. Welcome to Curious Neuron, a podcast about child development and education with information that is backed by science. I am your host, Cindy Huffington. I have a doctorate degree in neuroscience and postdoctoral training in education. My specialties are understanding how the brain develops and how play promotes learning. I love searching through science articles to see what I could apply with my own three kids, and I want to share this information with you. Follow Curious Neuron on Instagram to vote for the topics I'll cover and send in your questions for the experts. For more information, visit us at CuriousNeuron.com. Hi everyone, welcome back. Today's topic is near and dear to my heart because... If you know me personally or follow me on on social media, you know that I am a huge advocate for play. Whether it's playing with our kids or having them play on their own and the importance of play with development, I just love every aspect of play. It is the best way for a child to learn. I also often talk about the fact that play should be easy. You know, you see a lot of activities when you're searching through social media or Instagram, for instance, and sometimes these activities could be intimidating to people. And I want everyone to remember that when it comes to a child, let them lead the way um, regarding play. When we think of play, we think of toys. And play is not necessarily having all of the toys or all of the best toys in your home. It's about thinking of play in a certain way. Thinking of having pretend play items, which could be an old calculator that you have or an old keyboard that doesn't work anymore, and giving your child a pen, a notepad, and that keyboard. And all of a sudden, you're playing bank or pharmacist, or you can give them an old container that opens and closes, and you can put some little poker chips inside, and you're playing again bank, or you're playing restaurant, and that's your cash register. It's about thinking in a certain way for your child, inviting them to play and creating sometimes some sensory bins that create that sensory um, aspect of play that is so important for a child's development. When I think back to my own childhood, I think about being outdoors, climbing, jumping off of, you know, uh, things out, anything outside of the park. I I think about making mud pies in a bucket and having just a a bucket and a little shovel and creating something with grass and rocks and anything that I found outside. But today's reality is that we are not outdoors as much as we used to. So how do we create that sensory aspect for kids? So we'll discuss um, sensory bins a lot in this uh, episode. And also... Play just allows a child to develop such important skills. Even if you're playing board games, a child is learning to wait for their turn. If you're sitting down and playing with blocks, um, there's a lot of thinking that goes on in order to create a tower. It's actually a developmental milestone. And by the age of about two years old, a child should be able to build a tower of four blocks. So just to say that play really helps a child build the skills that they'll need, not only when they start in school, but throughout their life. Um, Something like planning and organizing happens when you're playing. Creativity. You know, I I mean, the list goes on and on. And regarding play, there are so many items within our own home that are toys, in quotes, for kids. Um, Whether it's a muffin tin for a baby that you can put their toys in, or a Ziploc bag while a baby is doing tummy time, you can have a Ziploc bag filled with some water and some objects, and you put some painter's tape all around the edges so that a baby can tap on it. Um, As a child gets older, there's so many toys around her home that are open-ended, meaning that there are endless possibilities. And I really want um, you to take take some time to visit Play at Home Mummy, 
and I'll be interviewing her for today's episode and there's just so much on her website, so much for us to learn and just yesterday I saw that she posted uh, an activity where she took some clothing items and taped it to the wall so her baby who just started walking was walking around pulling these clothing items off the wall. This is just an example of how brilliant um, she is at creating play with everything that we have in our home. It's easy. It does not have to take time. And in the end, when we take that time to play with our kids or create opportunities for them to play, they learn so much. I had an absolute blast interviewing her um, for this podcast episode and I hope that you learned just as much as I did um, about play and how to create an environment in your home and how to look at play differently. Just to remind you that before I interview somebody for a podcast episode, I always post a question on my Instagram and this allows you to type down the questions that you would like me to ask these experts that I interview. So head on to Instagram and search us at curious underscore neuron and feel free to send me a DM as well if you have any questions on child development or learning. We also have tons of new blog posts on our website and you can visit curiousneuron.com for articles that cover child development, the brain and learning. Please enjoy my interview with Emma. Today's guest is a mom of three behind the Instagram account Play at Home Mummy. Scrolling through her pictures inspires you to prepare some activities for your child. She teaches us that play can be simple, yet effective for a child's development. I love how she provides us with the activities and tells us which aspect of development they target. And every so often we get an intimate glimpse into her experience as a mother. Here's a quote of a recent post. Having children will change you. They will make you and some days break you. The truth is that being a mom is the most yourself you will ever be. You are their world and while the enormity of that job weighs you down daily, it also lifts you up. You were given to them and they to you. Today, my guest is Emma. Welcome, Emma. Thank you so much for having me, Cindy. Thank you for coming. And, you know, I, I wanted to include this quote because I think that it allows us to see the beauty of the ups and downs of motherhood or parenthood. Yes. And part of these downs might be some struggles we have and some of us struggle with play um, not knowing what to do or worrying that we're not doing enough and perhaps we forget to trust ourselves and to trust our children to let to guide us Got into us. what play is um, so today I'd love to I mean all the activities are there on your Instagram account so today I really want to get maybe a behind the scenes look in terms of how you prepare activities and what your thoughts are on play in general so let's start off with our role as a parent what do you do when it comes to play are you really there with them all the time do you step back um so I think that um a bit of both really is the answer um I think that also kids go through different stages where you know sometimes they need us a little bit more and sometimes they don't need us at all and so I think that really my role um how I see my role is really just as as their guide as their facilitator to um you know to observe them observe what they need observe what they're doing and step in if I need to and step back um the rest of the time I kind of like to think of it in terms of me being um involved as little as possible but as much as needed so mm -hmm. I if I'm not needed I I won't be there I'll be looking and, and watching and making sure that I'm picking up on um, you know, what, what's going on in their play and in their development from the sidelines. And um, if I'm needed, then that's where I am. So, yeah. And I we usually know when we're needed, right? Will they ask for you to come to play with them or? Well, I guess all kids do it differently. Some kids might, might do that and actually say, mom, I want you to come and play with me. Um, mm -hmm. Some kids might, you know, do that thing where they're just being a little bit clingy, following you around the house, kind of, you know, not, not kind of, able to get themselves um, involved in anything. Um, sometimes it might look like them having a lot of, um, like you've got siblings playing together. Sometimes the need for you to be involved will look like them having a lot of arguments um, in their place. <laughs> <true. laughs> yes. Like, okay, I need to be there now. <laughs> it's true. It's, it's interesting. I, I love your take in terms of how to be with them because there, there is some research that shows that being intrusive or controlling play a little bit too much hinders them the development of attention span because when they're really focused on something, we have to let them continue. Whereas, you know, being involved a little bit too much might stop that development. 
Um, so you have a background in early childhood um, education. Yes, I do. Yes, I'm an early childhood teacher and a primary teacher as well. And I've had experience in both of those settings. How has this sort of played a role in terms of how you play with your own daughters? I guess that um, the background that I have has really given me a good grounding for um, for the importance of play. It's it, it, I really have understood that um, from you know from the time before I had children, because it was something that I learned a lot about. Um, it was something that I saw a lot in um, early childhood settings and also in primary school settings. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think from that perspective, it's given me a lot of insight into what is important, into the kind of the theory behind the whole. Um, the whole play-based learning um, and the developmental aspects of, of what you can expect um, in childhood. Uh, and then I guess that since having children, that's really, um, it's really hit home a lot more than it ever did when I was working in early childhood settings because being able to follow a child, you know, your own child from the time mm. that they're born and watching them grow and develop and watching all these amazing things happen that you have kind of had in the back of your head the whole time because, you know, you knew a bit about it. But um, I think that the practice and actually having your own child there in front of you and watching um, the amazing development really brings everything that I've learnt all together. And, um, yeah, I, I found it quite an amazing experience to be able to um, watch my own children um, mm-hmm. do all these things that I've, I've learned about beforehand but probably not quite understood until this time. Mm-hmm. It's, it's beautiful to see that impact, right, like on them and as they grow. Yeah. <laughs> and when you're creating an activity, um, do you think of the developmental milestones or are you just creating an activity and it just happens to cover everything? You know, it, how much thought goes into um, their development? So I guess that the main thing that I like to focus on is following the child. So I, I'm really, really um, looking at my own children um, rather than looking at a continuum of development and thinking, oh, okay, this is what should be coming next. So I'll do something for that. Um, it's less of that and more of what is my child doing right now? Um, so, you know, for example, my five-year-old, she's really loving, she's really, she's starting to read and to write. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, she, and that's, that's, that's an interest that is led by her. She's wanting to write um, this afternoon. She wrote a beautiful little note for her sister. She asked me to help her to write something for her sister. Um, So cute. So, you know, that's where she's at. And then, you know, um, my youngest, she has just started walking. So, um, you know, activities where she can be standing is like something that I, that I would be looking at. So I'm really, First, firstly, I'm always led by them, by what they are interested in, by what they're showing me in, um, in their own play and in, in the um, discussion that we have and in the observations that I make. So that's where I start. I start with what, what they're doing um, and, yeah, and then, I, and then I follow on from there and I um, think, okay, well, um, Adeline is, is really wanting to stand up and walk around right now. So... Um, I might want to give her a fine motor activity that's vertical, something that she can do mm-hmm. on the wall. Let's tape something to the wall so that she can be, you know, using her pincer grip and practicing those skills. That's another thing that mm-hmm. I've noticed. She's really trying to pick small things up with that thumb and forefinger at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so it's like, you know, ha- taking, taking stock of what, of what they're doing and, um, mm-hmm. yeah, trying to, trying to um, put things in place that are going to stimulate those those areas of development and I think also when it comes to a baby whether they're starting to crawl or starting to walk they might only want to do that right exactly <laughs> yes. they just they're discovering a new world yep. and they're discovering a new ability yep. um, and um, I had come across um, a friend of mine who was hesitating in terms of play be- not hesitating but she wasn't able to apply any activity because all her child wanted to do was walk around yeah and that's okay totally fine <laughs> you know yeah mm-hmm. exactly. totally fine it's just like that that's what they're doing so if 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 um if that was me i would probably say okay what i'm gonna do is i'm not gonna set out any activities i'm just gonna put a few little things in all these different areas of the house so wherever she manages mm-hmm. to walk to there's something there that might draw her interest. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like building off where they are. 
Yes, and and using a lot of items from around the home, which is what you do, right? So yes, yeah. perhaps putting a couple post-its around some walls yeah, or exactly. areas in the kitchen. Easy, so yeah. A little basket of pom poms in one room, a little, you know, a few ribbons in a in another. Um, we use yeah objects from around the house are often the best things. <laughs> yes, they are, and um, you know that also talk um, goes into I guess the whole a play space or a playroom so some of us might have a larger playroom but some might only have a play area within our main living space yeah. um how do you create your play spaces for your children well we are very lucky at the moment to have um, a lot of space for to dedicate to um, a play space which is amazing but mm -hmm. I know that that's not um, the case for everybody and hasn't always been the case for us either Mm -hmm. um, so I guess it's just a matter of working with what you've got. And, um, I, you know, if you've got as much space as we currently do, I like to, um, I like to have a few different kind of zones within that space. Um, you know, like yes. reading and art and construction, that kind of thing. Um, we've got a gross motor space as well at the moment. Um, but then if you don't have that kind of thing, then you might find that you, kind of put things in different areas of the house. You know, you might have one little shelf that's in the, the room where the lounge is and in, in the TV room so that you've got um, something for bed when you're in there. And then you might have a, a little cube shelf in the, um, you know, next to the kitchen. You might have another mm -hmm. one in your bedroom. So, um, yeah, I guess that's how Having at least a dedicated shelf or a little space. Yes, I would do that. That's, exactly. Yes, exactly. Yeah. A dedicated little area so that your, your child has somewhere to... Um, to feel comfortable and to go and um, kind of the concept of a yes space. I'm not sure. If oh, yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, and I think that allows them this sort of space. So it's a yes space being an area that they can go to and, and, and touch anything in that area or play with yes. anything in that area. Right. Okay. Exactly. And yeah. I think that allows them to guide their play too, which will create more independent play and um, allow them to, to, to play a little longer. Right. Yes. Definitely. Mm -hmm. I think that um, um, a dedicated space and being really selective about the materials that you have in that space um, will be really important in helping your child to, um, to be able to play independently and to be able to play for longer and to um, really hone that attention span. Um, yeah, all those really good things. Mm -hmm. Do you um, include um, toy rotations? Yes, definitely. Um, yes. Toy rotations are great. I'm just, I love toy rotations. <laughs> anybody, yeah. anybody that's seen Olivia yes. needs to go probably know that. <laughs> yes. um, I think that they're just, oh, I think that they're such a great way to, first of all, make the most of what you have. Like you, you buy mm -hmm. toys, you don't want them to be not used. You don't want them to just be sitting there and, you know, it's also mm -hmm. like you've wasted your money. So um, I think that first of all, they're a great way to make the best use of what you have, because if you don't have something out all the time, um, when you bring it out, it's going to spark new, um, new play, you know, it's going to be the mm -hmm. spark new curiosity. curiosity. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. so yeah, first like that first and, and foremost, um, but then also it allows you to, to observe what your child is interested in and to cater their environment for that. So if you know, if your child is not, if your child is not in, interested in, um, you know, letters, like if you've got a, a one-year-old, mm -hmm. um, yeah. then, you know, having the alphabet or having, you know, tactile letters or something like that in the playroom, that's not going to be something that is like appropriate to their play or mm -hmm. is going to spark, um, is going to spark good play for them. But if you are observing where your child is at and what they're, um, what, what they're capable of developmentally, then rotating is going to be the best way to keep up with that because mm -hmm. you know a child's interest can change day to day <laughs> you know they might be interested yes. in one thing today and then tomorrow not not doing that anymore <laughs> so um, I think that rotating is a really great way to um, to keep up with where they're at um, as well and I think that it really keeps me personally it keeps me really switched on to um, to what all of my kids are doing and where they're at because it kind of mm -hmm. keeps me accountable for okay looking at the playroom what hasn't been played with right well they're not they're not interested in that what have they been playing with let's look at um the things that have been really popular and try to build on that so if mm -hmm. they've been playing with the magnetic tiles it's okay they're really wanting to construct things what have they been doing with those tiles they've been um 
you know, building houses for their animals. So that might bring in some, um, some thoughts about schemas and they're in the enclosing schema right now. So let's think of other ways that we can build on, on that kind of play. So then I'd rotate the playroom accordingly. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think that playroom rotation is just is such a great way to, to build on their interest, to keep you um, switched on to what they're doing, to get the, the most out of the toys that you have. There are so many positives to it. I agree. We started doing that maybe about a year ago, and I just immediately, immediately saw a difference in playtime with my kids. Um, instead of having everything around them, which it's, you know, it's contrary to what we believe, right? So we think that a child will remain focused longer if we just give them so many toys and just mm. surround them with stuff. Mm. But in the end, it's not about that. I think it's a combination of creating those different play spaces, like yes. you mentioned, and minimizing the toys. Yes. There's actually research on this where the children will remain focused on one toy longer if you minimize the toys versus being overwhelmed um, by having so many toys around. Yes, them. I think it just becomes mm -hmm. um, the toy. It becomes kind of um, like a visual noise, you know, it kind of stops that mm -hmm. really good concentrating because it's just, you know, everything is too noisy around them um, in terms of how, how much there is to look at and how much there is to see. Um, and takes away from that really good concentration. It kind of just starts to blend in with the environment. I think that if you have something out that's just out all the time, if you just have all your toys out in the same place all the time, it just becomes a part of the environment. They just don't really mm -hmm. see it anymore. Um, mm -hmm. You know, just like things around your house. That's a good guess, point. You know, you, just, yeah. you have furniture and it's there and you kind of, you don't look really carefully at it because that's just where it is. Um, mm. So I think that the same thing is true for toys and for children and they are not going to pay a lot of attention to something that's just always there. Um, but if you change things and, um, and something's new and different, they kind of, you okay. know, their ears prick up and they go, oh, okay, something's mm -hmm. different here. What is it? <laughs> and um, <Yes. laughs> that sparks a whole, lot, a whole lot more play and a whole lot more interest um, in, their, in their things as well. Mm -hmm. And even uh, in, with bins, right? So sometimes we, we might think that having a bin filled with um, toys, but, you know, stacking those bins away so that everything is clean in the playroom mm -hmm. is okay because everything is sort of tucked away. But once they open that bin or that container, if all their toys are there, I, from what I've seen before I was doing rotations, they're going to empty that bin regardless yes. of their age, whether they're 10 months old yes. or four years old, they will empty that bin yes. and they will be engaged for a whole two minutes. Yes. Because all they're doing is looking to see what's inside that bin, but then they will move on. Yes. Um, they will not play with them. They will just dump it <laughs> somewhere <laughs> in your house, which creates a bigger mess. <laughs> so just even limiting, um, you know, uh, on a shelf, having a tiny little basket with a few blocks. If you have a baby, they don't need all of them or a few little Legos for a small child yes. so that it keeps them engaged. Uh, and instead of tossing things to the ground and, and not being interested in it, yes. it makes a huge difference for them. Exactly. Yeah. I think it's just about yeah. being really thoughtful in the way that you present things. Um, you know, yes. I know that I, you know, even as adults, I think that we would be a whole lot more likely to be drawn to something that is presented um, in a really clear way, in a way that we can easily access, that we can see it, mm -hmm. that, is, that is visually appealing. All of those things mm -hmm. are going to affect how drawn we are to something. And it's the same for our children. Um, they are going to be drawn to something that is presented in a beautiful way or in a neat way um, that, is, that is clear. You know, it's not hidden inside a, inside a bin for them to have to find. It's, you know, presented um, neatly and clearly on a shelf and that is easy for them to access. So, again, with, with mm -hmm. the bin, like, that's not really an easy way for them to access their things. Whereas if you have something on mm -hmm. a shelf at their height, you know, if it's a, the baby, you'd have it on the low shelf, obviously. I'm an older child on a... On a um, a shelf at more eye level, um, mm -hmm. yeah, then it's going to make it a lot easier for them to engage with that. I always bring up the example of food in a fridge, right? So if we have yes. leftovers yeah. <laughs> and we're hungry and mm -hmm. it's nighttime, we feel that those leftovers are kind of boring because we've seen them before. Mm, exactly. <laughs> and, yes. It's a great comparison. And with yeah. food, we can have, you know, some sort of mash or like stew in our plate. And it's not as inviting as if somebody starts decorating it or those beautiful plates and the food all, exactly. all of a sudden yeah. becomes very inviting. Yes. Um, so it's the same and it's in, it's that invitation to play, right? Exactly. So if some people haven't heard that term, um, 
invitation to play is really making an activity or play inviting to a child. So if you have Legos, um, as an example, or even magnetic tiles, if you have a child and you're trying to get them engaged a little bit more in play, make it inviting for them. Create a little tower or a little um, home and put their little, you know, person or something or an animal yes, there with it exactly. and all of a sudden those toys become inviting exactly because it speaks to them it's you know it invites exactly. them into play because you've spoken to them through um setting up a simple little invitation for them it's beautiful mm -hmm. um so uh, let's talk about babies now i think most of your posts have been um yes. about your baby yes <laughs> it's great <laughs> who's almost a year old already which i can't believe oh, <laughs> and um <laughs> we I think I'm thinking of being a first time parent and I think one of my worries was am I getting the right toys that'll help with my child's uh, development mm -hmm. um you know am I getting all of them should I get all of them what are they yep. but in the <laughs> end um it's not about the toys it's really about household items that we have that become a toy for a child yes. and that's what I've learned from your account so can you explain maybe what some of the items around our home um which items to you are the best toys for babies Yes. Well, we've, um, I mean, Adeline, since she was born, has really reminded me all over again how much babies are just, um, you know, everything is, is a toy to them. You know, babies in that first year, first two years of life, um, it just their environment is, um, is a toy. Anything that they, they come across, <laughs> they need to work out um, what's going on with them. They're like little scientists, so, you know. <laughs> Um, just examining everything, putting everything in their mouth to see what's going on with it. Um, yeah, it's just it's fascinating <laughs> to see the way that they work. I could watch babies all day. Um, yes, so, I but I guess with um, everyday items, we well, we use so many everyday items. Um, kitchen things are like always one of the biggest winners over here. So you know, like whisks and tongs and yes. um yeah anything that you can find in your kitchen drawer my, my bottom kitchen drawer is like my go-to place for finding <laughs> things my bottom two kitchen drawers like the utensil drawer she'll always love something in there the, you know the yes. colanders the whisks that sort of thing and then the other thing is like stationary kind of items you know like tape rolls of tape is always great and foil because it sounds great and um you know um a packet of string like just you know kitchen yarn um mm -hmm. paper rolls like all of that stuff is just so exciting to a baby patty uh <laughs> you know cupcake cases you know, little patty yes. cases oh my gosh they've been yes. one of our like absolute favorite things the silicone yes ones? the silicone ones yes yeah, oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah I've I, I've yet to use mine to make cupcakes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're only they're only toys. <laughs> um, and just like bottles, you know, like we I keep I don't we just don't throw out any sort of bottles in this house. We just keep everything, <laughs> um, bottles and rolls. And um, I found that food coloring bottles are amazing. Like just a, you know any kind of little bottles that they can hold in their hand. Mm -hmm. I make them into shakers. I just fill them with. Um, you know, dried rice or um, lentils or, you know, whatever, some sort of dry um, dry things that I can find in my pantry. That's another thing, pantry items, fantastic. Um, so, yeah, filling things with that. Um, shake it, like little spice jars and little, um, you know, salt shakers or, or, you know, spice shakers, that kind of thing is fantastic as well. Um, so, so far, what I'm seeing is things that really touch on the five senses of a child. So something they yes. can touch and taste and put in their mouth and feel yes. something they could see or hear. Yes. Okay. And things yeah. that you can also do something with, you know what I mean? Like you can kind of recycle them in a way that can make it really exciting. So even after they've done that initial exploration of, okay, this is a bottle, then you can mm -hmm. go and fill it with something that sounds cool and make it into a rattle. And it's like, okay, now that does something mm -hmm. new. So yeah, <laughs> repurposing yeah. things that they've already discovered is another, another really great way to, um, to engage them. But yeah, I think you could definitely, definitely get away with probably not even buying any toys. Um, yes, I agree. Just, yeah, yeah. Just, just using what you've got around the home and they wouldn't be any worse off for it. They'd be, you know, like... It's true. As long as you're, um, you're switched on to what, what your child is doing, then yeah, you can, you can find anything around the home and make it. And it doesn't even have to take a long time. You know, DIY things no. don't need to be something that takes you all day. Um, no, exactly. Like your activities for tummy time, I think, you know, are, are wonderful because 
we'll hear parents talk about like their child not wanting to do tummy time. But if you provide them with something to entertain them or to, you know, feed on their curiosity, like those Ziploc bags that you have, they yes. put a bit of water and some items inside yes. or the, the foil paper that you just tape to the ground. I remember... Yes. You know, I did that with my baby and all of a sudden he just looked at this and said, wow, what's this? Yeah, it just takes, <laughs> like their, takes their mind different. off the fact that they're on yeah. their tummy and they're like, okay, I've yeah. that. Now let's look at this thing. <laughs> exactly. And it was just beautiful to watch him just so excited to see it and just tapping it and trying to lick it and eat it. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he was I'm just so, so excited. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and the Ziploc bags too. So, and a mirror, right? Even for a yes, newborn. Yes, a mirror, definitely. Um, the importance of that mirror for them to even if they're not seeing really well until they're about three months old but allowing them to see something you know they're, they're seeing themselves and as they get older to, they're seeing another baby in quotes yes. <laughs> it's like who is that yes. and then all of a sudden they recognize <laughs> yeah. themselves and they go that's me yes. and yeah there's a yeah. whole progression there yes mirrors are amazing and again that's not a that's not a fancy item like that's you know, no you get that anywhere exactly yeah, even Ziplocs and foil. So I think, you know, if anybody wants some more ideas, um, if they head on to your, um, you have Facebook as well, I think. Yeah, and Facebook Instagram. and Instagram, yeah. play at home mommy. Yeah. So if they want some ideas, that would help. And and hopefully they got a few ideas from the, the items that you mentioned. Play in general in terms of, you know, even your older daughters. What are... Um, some types of play that you try to include so we're talking about maybe you know some risky play or sensory play or open-ended play mm -hmm. um or even pretend play do you try to consciously include all of these types of play in your day or do you just create spaces like you said and uh, you know add some items so that this type of play is included yeah, I think, again, a bit of both is the answer to that. Um, mm -hmm. I think that I am careful when, you know, designing the space that we have to include um, a few different, um, I guess, areas that invite different types of play. So, you know, the art area will obviously invite them to go and create and then we've got, mm -hmm. um, you know, the, an area where I'll usually have some type of construction, um, you know, put blocks or magnetic tiles or Duplo or Lego um, or train tracks, that sort of thing in that sort of space. Um, and we've always got a sensory table out as well, which I'll, you know, change up what's in it and, you know, the kind of accessories that I've got there with it. Um, so, yeah, so in one way, yes, I always have those things um, around. And, mm -hmm. um, but I will also, um, in our week, kind of, um, I guess now that I'm homeschooling, we're homeschooling my oldest at the moment. Well, yeah, really homeschooling all of them, but she's, um, she started her first formal formal year of homeschooling this year mm -hmm. um so i'm and we're still very much uh led by her and very very much play-based um there's no no real sit down learning that we do here um but i will be thoughtful about what i might um want to include in our week um the sorts of activities that i might plan to do and mm -hmm. when i say plan it's also not um i think that people sometimes get freaked out when i talk about you know, planning, like it has to be this really rigid, um, you know, set thing and it takes a lot of time mm -hmm. to, to think about and to write out and and that's not the case at all. It's, um, it's just a matter of, you know, I'll think about what my children have been showing me in the last week and then on a Sunday night um, I'll sit down and think about how I could extend on that in the next week. So, for example, just a quick example again with my eldest mm -hmm. um, showing me that she's interested in writing at the moment. So this week I will be sure to include some sort of um, writing invitation for her. So I might, um, she really loves Frozen. <laughs> so, you know, I, I might, um, I might have like cut out some pictures from of Frozen or put some stickers of Frozen and, um, you know, maybe begin the letters of each character and then see what she does. So, um, yeah, I guess it's about um, having the spaces set up so that they can engage in whatever type of play they're drawn to at any time, um, mm -hmm. but then also going off what you can see of your children and what you can see that they're interested in and maybe offering a couple of extra opportunities that week to do something related to that. Um, mm -hmm. And I say offer because it's not something that I would force them to do. I wouldn't... Um, I wouldn't say, right, you have to sit down now and we're going to do this exactly. writing. It's going to be mm -hmm. something that, you know, I'll, I'll put something out and I'll say, um, you know, oh, do you want to come and have a look at this with me? Or, um, you know, if we're doing an experiment outside, I'll say, oh, I'm, I'm going to set up something really cool. Do you want to come with me and see what it is? And if they're engaged in 
this happens actually all the time. If they're engaged in something and they're, they're engaged in their own play, they'll say, no, mom, not right now. And I'll say, okay, that's fine. We'll just, yeah. well, we'll do it later. I'll get to something else right now. Um, so it's a very casual kind of, um, kind of thing where you just, you just have this relationship where you know what they need, you know, where they're at and, Mm -hmm. you know, you, you offer things to them and if they don't want to do it, then that's cool. If they do want to do it, then Mm -hmm. that's great too. Um, and it's not about having a set schedule for you then it's not, you know, nine o'clock is reading time and 10 AM is, is this kind of play. Okay. No, we have, we, um, we have a saying in our house that the girls know very well, which is we respect each other's play because play is really Mm -hmm. important here. Um, and I want them to know that I respect their play as well. So I won't pull them out of, out of their play to go and do something that I think is more important. So, you know, if they're, mm-hmm. if they're really engaged in something, I'm not going to say, well, it's 10 o'clock. So you actually need to come here and sit down and do your writing um, because that wouldn't be respectful to them of the really important work that they're doing in their play. Um, so, yeah, so that's, that's a really important thing here. I think it's really important that you mentioned that because right now um, many families are home with their children because yeah. of the, you know, the, the pandemic. Yes. And um, a lot of the questions that I've been receiving is, you know, how do I plan play and how do I schedule everything and how do I make sure that my preschool child is ready for school? You know, it when it comes to scheduling, I agree with you. We So I do the same thing in terms of the weekends. I will plan activities let's say you're uh putty you're you just um not putty but slime yes yeah um you know so yep. you just i we made our slime yesterday and yep, i love exactly, the, the, yep. the recipe that you have so i i will write you know slime on saturday in my book um or whatever other activity yes. on monday or tuesday or whatever it is but it's not at a set time yep and it's not set in stone either exactly it's, if something else happens that day and you don't end up doing it then it's like, okay we'll just move that to another day let's do it tomorrow instead exactly. yeah not a big deal exactly yeah you know and i think uh, with instagram it offers a sort of illusion that everything is perfect and that everything is planned on a certain time and that it goes well yeah. <laughs> when it often doesn't exactly. and we don't see the chaos too behind it's everything true. that happens yeah. with that that picture from one second yes it, it's okay i think we have to let parents know as well that it's okay if a child doesn't want to do an activity that yeah. you planned, yeah. okay, you don't want to sit down and do this activity. Well, oh, here you have your blocks. Let's sit down and build a tower. Yeah. And there's learning to be done in that. So much learning. Um, exactly. I think yeah. that's definitely, it's uh, so, so important to remember that, you know, Instagram is not real life. It's not, yeah. you know, you're not seeing every second of a person's day. Um, so, you know, to to just remind everybody that, um, yeah, the things that you're seeing on Instagram, while while they might be, you know, really cool ideas, they might not work for your child. They might, they might mm-hmm. work for your child. They, your child might love them. Your child might hate them. And that's fine because all children are yeah. different. We're all different people and so are our kids. Exactly. And there's no yeah. one size fits all when it comes to play, just like there's no one size fits all when it comes to anything else in life. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, you, you mentioned it, I think, in your edible foam with the um, the cans of beans, right, that you made, I don't know when, yes, recently, I yes, think, and, and I one of your daughters not. just yeah. didn't like it. Yeah, she just hated it. She came over, <laughs> I, I set it up, and, you know, like with these invitations, I, I um, you know, I conduct them as an invitation. It's not right, come over mm-hmm. here now, this is what you have to do. It's, mm-hmm. this, you just offer it. Do you want to see what it's like? Yeah, it's, it's just a little yeah. question to them. Do you want to have a look at this? Um, so, you know, I placed it down in the middle of the floor, and the baby and my five-year-old were all over it they were like yeah this is great <laughs> and then my three-year-old came over and she touched it and she was like no I don't like it I don't like it mom I'm going to wash my hands and I was like okay cool <laughs> like, yeah. all right yeah, that's cool. and we, we have to make sure not to take it personally either exactly. right because we've no, yeah. we might have put a lot of time into creating something um but yeah so you know just such a great example of you know siblings as well they've been brought up by the same parents in the same environment (laughs) and look how different they are one loved it one didn't and that's fine and I guess they keep us on our toes um all the time with everything else and play is no exception they're always keeping us on our toes and making us kind of second guess what we're doing and try and you know try and think Mm -hmm. of something else okay (laughs) what is getting right now (laughs) exactly we we briefly touched upon sensory play so um i i think this is something that isn't talked about enough when it comes to play and that we should all be including in our homes um but then sensory play uh, comes into uh, falls into i guess messy play for some people mm, yes um what is your advice when it comes to um 
trying to include sensory play and not being too afraid of messy play? So I think that my advice with sensory play and, you know, often sensory play is sensory play is very messy. Um, my advice is with this one, it is good to plan ahead, kind of not, you know, I think that it works better when you don't just fly by the seat of your pants for sensory yes, play. Because, um, <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> otherwise, you know, it can scare you off ever doing it again. So yes. I think that plan your messy play for yourself, for your own peace of mind. Um, mm-hmm. Plan what you're going to do and plan your cleanup. Um, if something's going to be really, really messy, I, you know, will always advise to do it outside or do it in the bathtub or something like that. So it's like a no mm-hmm. stre- a low stress um, kind of cleanup for you because I think that the last thing that we want is for play to be stressful for anybody. It just shouldn't be. Play is not something mm-hmm. that needs True. to be stressful for the child or for the parent. It's something that should just be fun. And um, so I think that if 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 the sensory play is getting really stressful for the parent, and the parent is getting really um, you know aggravated with how messy things are getting, then that you know the child picks up on that, and they're probably not really going to engage with it in a really positive way. So yes, mm-hmm. I think for everybody's sake, it's good to plan um, plan your cleanup, plan where you're going to do the messy play, and um, have have your cleanup strategy set ahead of time. So I'll always. Um, do really, really messy play outside and I'll always have a tub of water and a towel next to the activity Yes, because often oh, yeah, the kids yeah. actually don't, like they're getting to a stage where they get, they, yeah, like, they get, like getting their hands messy, but then they're like, okay, now I want it off my hands so I can go and do something else. So you've got to, you know, have that tub of water there so they can just quickly dunk their hands, dry their hands. And I think that it also helps them to know um, that they're not locked into this. They, they don't have to stay here forever with this activity. It's like, okay, I've got the opportunity to clean my hands and go to something else and then I can come back to this and I can get messy again and I can clean my hands mm-hmm. again and it kind of just makes it a really relaxed thing instead of, um, instead of a stressful thing or something that they have to sit there with for a really long time even if mm-hmm. they don't want to. So, yeah, clean up for a clean-up plan for yourself and a clean-up plan for your kids is always a really great mm-hmm. way to start with something that's going to be messy. Um, and I guess the other thing that I just need to say about sensory play is that it gets easier the more you do it. I think that it can be really yeah. um, intimidating to start because you're like, what do I start with? And, oh, my gosh, it's going to make so much mess. And a lot of the time children who aren't used to sensory play will make a massive mess when it comes mm-hmm. to, to doing it because it's like they've never done it and then all of a sudden there's a huge tub of mud in front of them and they're like, it's <laughs> everywhere. So yeah. I think that, um, yeah, I think that just letting everybody know that it isn't as intimidating as it might look when you're doing it for the first time and the more you do it, the better you get at um, seeing how your child engages with it and... Mm planning the cleanup and executing it and everything. And the more your child gets used to it, so the more normal it becomes for them. So mm-hmm. your child is not going to be eating everything forever. And they're also not going to be yeah. throwing things across the room forever. Um, you know, it's mm-hmm. something that comes with practice. We all need to practice things and, you know, play is no different. Play takes practice and all types of play take practice. And True. sensory yeah. play is no exception to that. So I think that, yeah, the more that you do it, the easier it gets and the more your child will explore it in a variety of ways because I also get a lot of people saying to me but every time I do sensory play my child just puts it in her mouth she just eats it every single time mm-hmm. and um, I think that one of the things we do so much sensory play here and we ha- obviously also have a sensory table that's always accessible just 24 7 mm-hmm. and has been um, for Adeline my baby um, yeah, mm-hmm. since she was born it's just always been around because her big sisters were in it um, and having that and seeing seeing how she has adapted to that, it just becomes really normal. So at 11 months old now, sensory play is really normal for her. And she will still put things in her mouth because she's still a baby. But she mm-hmm. also will mostly explore things in other ways, like with utensils or with her hands. So I think that the more that you do it, it gives them more opportunity to practice other ways of engaging different senses, you know, instead of their t- sense of taste, they're going to be engaging their sense of touch or their sense of sound. Mm-hmm. They might bang it instead, you know, that kind of thing. Because it has to be learned, like you said, right? Exactly. Which is yeah. It takes an time. important key point. Yeah. 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 And how early would you recommend that we can start sensory play with our kids? 
I would start, so I started sensory play, well, it depends what's, what sense you're talking about, but um, if it's, you know, like a sensory tub of, you know, something to touch, I would probably yes. start that from around five months. I think we did our first sensory water play at around five months. Um, mm -hmm. I kind of just base it off around when your baby is starting solid foods. So we didn't start solid foods till about six and a half-ish months with Adeline, um, but prior to that had started sensory play in you know with water and um, mm -hmm. ice and that sort of thing like I think we did a big ice block oh yes sensory yeah. play when she was a bit like younger mm -hmm. than six months so yeah around that five six month mark around when you'd be introducing yeah. solids mm -hmm. because that's the time where they're going to, going to be starting to explore different textures through their food anyway so it's I think a perfect time to do it and I think also um, dried goods is maybe a safer way to go if you're a little worried about it. Um, so giving um, dried oats or yes. baby cereal, I find yes. it's easier to clean up. You just sweep it up or you have a mat under them and you just kind of clear that mat out rather than the wet stuff, I think yes. is a bit more um, time consuming in terms of cleanup. <laughs> and um, how about a risky play? <laughs> I see that you have the uh, is it the pickler triangle? Is it yes, called? yeah, the pickler triangle. triangle. Yes. Yeah, we love it. It's great. So risky play seems to be a good part of your um, you know your environment again. Is this something you think is important for children? Yes, risky play is so important, and I think there's multiple studies showing that um, it's really important for children to be able to explore the limits of their own body so that they can become confident with. Um, with how they can move and and what they can do with themselves and know their own limits um, and it's also really important for them as they get older to be able to evaluate risks themselves because if they've always had somebody um, you know telling them not to do this because it's too risky or if they have never had access to enough risky play then then they won't be able to evaluate those risks as they grow so it's actually more likely that they will they will get into more accidents as, as they grow because they don't actually have the ability to evaluate the risks of certain activities and they also don't know the limits of their own bodies. So, True. yeah, it's something that um, that we believe is really, really important and um, have introduced from a young age. Um, and I think that it just comes down to also the whole, the whole outlook of of trusting the child, of um, of trusting the child and their development, mm -hmm. and the fact that they know their bodies, and that they um, obviously are not able to, as a baby, evaluate all the risks around the house. Um, but there are things with their own bodies that they they can do that they completely guide their their entire development from you know mm -hmm. starting to roll to starting to crawl to starting to walk that's something that they do themselves with their own bodies with no no help help or advice from mm -hmm. us so i think that mm -hmm. it's really important to trust in what they're doing and the fact that they know um how to how to move their bodies and they know how to trust their bodies and they know what their bodies are ready for as well um because mm -hmm. we have had the pickler triangle since before Adeline was born and um, so you know it's been something that has been in the house um, her whole life but she mm. only started to explore it it only kind of she only saw it it only became visible to her when she felt like she could do something with it so it really oh, she, she never actually you know really took two looks at it um, before the time where she was starting to crawl and then she started to crawl and quite soon after that she started to pull up on things and that was when mm -hmm. she suddenly saw this pickler and was like, oh, okay, this is something that I can pull up on and not long after that started to climb up it. So, yeah, I think it's really interesting that it has, you know, something like that was in our house the whole time but she never used mm -hmm. it before her own body was actually ready for it. So wow, that just really shows that, yeah. me that, um, you know, you can just place so much trust in these little people because... They just know what they're doing and um, mm -hmm. you know obviously around something like the pickle triangle for a baby you'd have it on on a soft surface you know on, on a soft mm -hmm. mat or something so that they're not going to hurt themselves if they do fall um, but apart from that I think it's about you can you can control the things that you can control in the environment um, so you can make the risky play less risky by putting a mat underneath so that they're not going to actually you know, mm -hmm. really hurt themselves if they fall. You can control mm -hmm. the height of, um, you know, the, the things that you're offering them. I wouldn't put a ladder to the roof in my house and just be like, climb, <laughs> climb that. <laughs> Go on. You can control yeah. that sort of thing. Um, 
And then beyond that, I think it's up to, yeah, just trusting, trusting your child and, and trusting that they're going to know what they're doing and be able to um, recognize the limits of their own body. And it's when you mm-hmm. see it, it's just such an amazing thing to watch. What are ways that a parent could include risky play if they don't have the Pickler Triangle? Well, I mean, parks and playgrounds are a brilliant way. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess for babies, you could do really simple things at home, like, um, you know, making an, a little obstacle course out of pillows or taking the cushions off the couch and, you know, putting them mm-hmm. along the hallway so the baby can crawl, crawl over them and under them and that kind of thing. Little, um, you know, step stools that you might have around if you've got all the, oh, yeah. like a little step stool that they might use to move mm-hmm. their hands. Those are fantastic um, for babies to climb over the top of. So, yeah, I think that you can always find things around the house if you don't have the, you know, the fancy equipment. Mm-hmm. Really. You really <laughs> need it. <laughs> I guess even our staircases, right? Our stairs. Ah, oh, totally, um, yes. I, as soon as my baby yeah. was crawling, yes. he just didn't want to stop. The only place he... I could sit down with him with a book. He, my kids could be playing. But my baby just takes off and wants to climb the stairs. Mm-hmm. And we don't have a... We don't block it. Um, I only block it when I'm, I have to cook or, you know, it's, yeah, I, I, yeah, won't be, I have to go to the bathroom yeah. and I put him in his chair. Yep. But he has open access to the entire house. And I let him guide me in terms of, okay, it's time to climb the stairs and that's an activity. Yeah, <laughs> and exactly. He that loves is an activity. it. Yeah. Totally love it. <laughs> yep. 100%. Fantastic. I think you brought something up in terms of risky play that brings us to our next point. And it's the skills that a child acquires when they're playing. Skills beyond you know, ABCs and learning how to count. Yep. Um, the, the, that confidence, right, you were saying in yes. terms of they build that in terms of, of risky play. And there was a really important study. Um, to me, it's important because it, it showed that the four skills that really help a child learn in school and show success later on in their life are flexibility, creativity, self-control and discipline. Um, and when I look at these four skills, I just think of play. Yes. Um, so what skills do you see your, your children developing when they play that you think are really important for children to learn? I think all those things, I see all those things when they play, um, creativity mm-hmm. constantly. I mean, especially mm-hmm. with um, open-ended play, if you provide your child with lots of opportunities for open-ended play. So, you know, meaning something, yes. Yeah, so some, something that doesn't yeah. have a set um, a set end mm-hmm. to it. It's just, you know, exactly. a material that's, that's really open that they can interpret the way that they like um, and that they can do with what they like. So they really are in control of that play when it's open-ended. Um, so, you know, so much creativity comes out of um, open-ended play. So much problem solving comes out of open-ended play. I mean, you look at things like block play or play with magnetic mm-hmm. tiles, you know, construction, any type of construction play. Um, and, Children in that type of play are problem solving pretty much by the second as they're creating True. their things. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they might be building a house and then that house doesn't fit all the things that they wanted to put inside it. So, you know, they've got to okay, take apart one side of that house and um, make it a bit bigger. And, you know, when they're doing that, they are um, not only being creative because they are creating something that, that they've thought up in their own imagination, but they're also problem solving um, exactly how they're going to, to do what they like, their problem solving, mm-hmm. how they're going to get to their end goal. Um, so, and yeah, that, that, that type of play all the time. Um, pretend play, they're processing usually, um, you know, things that they're trying to understand from their own lives. So, mm-hmm. you know, they might be processing something in a movie they saw, in a book that they read or in, a, play, yeah. in a place that you, you maybe went um, that might you you'll often see that that sort of thing comes up in a child's play you'll you know go to a new place or you'll travel you know I know that when we moved house um, I saw the girls in the girls play once we had moved they were always talking about their um, little you know they play with their little figurines usually is what they're playing with at mm-hmm. the moment and it was always okay and now they're moving house so they're going to get into the car <laughs> and then all their things are on the truck so they don't have their things yet so they've got to wait here <laughs> So it's really great to see how they're, um, you know, they're processing what's happening and coming to a greater understanding mm-hmm. about their world through their mm-hmm. play. And it helps them, I think, also with with um, pretend play 
they're developing those social skills and that, that that's you know that self-control that I just mentioned too right in terms of you know waiting for that person to finish their play or, or yes. you know that play together makes a big difference too yes exactly playing yeah. together with siblings or playing with friends yes. is really great um and you know even even when they're not even when they're playing independently they're still um you know, they can be developing their understanding of social situations when they're, you know, physically themselves maybe have two figurines and they're, you know, making them talk to each other or they're in, they're engaging mm-hmm. things in a social situation. It's, you know, even in independent play, they can be working on those social skills, which is just um, fascinating. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I think there are just, you know, problem solving, creativity, um, you know, independence. They have the ability to, you know, to think of, think it's to to imagine things and to um to follow that through have you ever used uh, pretend play to maybe teach something to your child so i i'm, I'm asking because i find that pretend play is really for us pretend play is the 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 boss of play in our house and mm. it's what they play on their own when yes. they have time on their own it's, it's what i play yep. with them yeah um, because it's just so fun you can take anything like a stamp and paper and a little box and you're playing bank and you you know i use some maybe some little chips that we have or something that's my, you know pretend money yeah you don't have to have all the the real items or you know we just create certain things yes. we play you know pretend candy shop with some loose parts and we just it, there's no end to pretend play but I also use pretend play to um you know maybe speak to my toddler if he's not sharing very well with his sister mm, then yes. you know we might use some figurines and or some stuffed animals and you know Mr. Bear might not be sharing with Mr. Raff very well and <laughs> yes and that's my way of trying to teach him stuff do you ever take those opportunities to teach um things to your child your daughters as well yeah definitely and I think that it's mm-hmm. so important to do that and um because play is is a child's work it is it is what they do it is how they understand everything about their world so mm-hmm. um you know speaking to them in their own language speaking to them through play is i guess the best way that you can possibly um you know help a child to understand something mm-hmm. and do your daughters ever get into arguments <laughs> or don't want to share yeah, <laughs> yeah. They're normal kids. <laughs> that's yeah. why that side of things doesn't get shown on Instagram. Exactly. <laughs> but, um, yes, definitely. And how do you go about it to help them? Oh, you know, it's always uh, it's, <laughs> you know what it's like. Um, it's always kind of a, you know, in the moment kind of thing, I guess, you know, depending on what's happening. Um, I think that, you know, as parents, it's so hard mm. because we see everything from the outside and to us, it looks like this really simple thing to solve, but to, you know, a child, it's just, it's everything, you know, the fact that they, they're not getting to play with this one thing right now because their sister has it. And then, you know, it seems like the world is ending. They are never going to get to play with that. They can't, they can't imagine how long it's going to take <laughs> for her to be finished. They can't possibly <laughs> wait that long. <laughs> you know, the whole world is absolutely ending to them. It's um, true. So I guess I... I just try to handle it the best I can. We, like I said before, we have, um, we have a really strong thing about respecting each other's play in our house and that, you know, carries through to the girls respecting Mm -hmm. each other's play, um, which is usually, usually the way that we solve Mm -hmm. these things is by talking about that. We talk about the the need to respect each other's play and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I know that they always don't like it at the time and, you know, we say that. I think that, I, we just try and, and validate how they're feeling and um, name their feelings because, you know, they're kids and they mm-hmm. are not able to name all of their feelings, especially when they get really big. So, you know, we, we name their feelings for them and say, you know, I can see mm-hmm. that you might be feeling really sad because you really wanted to play with that right now, but your sister has it and you're feeling really impatient because you don't want to have to wait for her to be finished mm-hmm. with it. And it's really hard and those feelings are really big and you don't know what to do with them. And, you know, um, so I guess, first of all, it's that connection. First of all, it's the try and connect with them. Connect with your child, try and get down to where they're at, what they're experiencing right now. Put yourself in their shoes and name what they're going through for them because then they feel like you're actually really understanding where they're coming from Mm -hmm. and they're going to be, um, they're going to be a a lot more likely to, um, you know, to calm down and to, um, 
you know, to have those big feelings get back down to being little feelings again and be able to deal with them if they feel like you are, you are there with them while they're doing that. So the first thing for us is connection and, um, and yeah, and then I guess after we connect, we, we talk about the um, respecting each other's play and, and how, um, you know, what, depending on what the situation is, I guess, but, you know, following, following, yeah, everything, everything is different, but following through with the, um, you know, if, if one of them wants something right now and the other one's playing with it, it's kind of like, well, um, you know, if you had that, we would be respecting your play. Your sister has that right now. So we're going to wait till she's finished. And I know that it's really hard to wait. Um, maybe while you're waiting, we could go and read this book. Or I know that you really love building with these things. Maybe while you're waiting for your sister to finish with that, you could do something like this and she'll, she'll, she'll be finished um, when she's finished and then it will be your turn. So, yeah, I guess turn-taking... Um, Again, instead of sharing. Um. Yeah, and I think that's important because, you know, they have to respect that. It's not just because they want something that they should be getting it right away. And and teaching them to learn is another um, quality or skill that is really important for them as they get older. Um, so I think it's important that you said that. And, and there's even research that backs the whole aspect of being um, sensitive to their emotions yeah. um, when they're feeling these big emotions yes, and that helps with their development of their own emotion regulation so I think it's it's really important the way that you you mentioned it and that's something that we follow in our home too even when my son was about one and a half and not speaking very much yet we had showed him how to open up his palm his hand to his mm -hmm. sister asking for a toy so that little gesture yes. showed him that you can't just grab it out of her hand but you're asking for it and she might yeah. say wait she might put her I lips love finger that. up and what say a great not yet that's brilliant <laughs> i'm not done yet and he had to wait yeah because yeah. yeah. they're not verbal yet so i had to try to think of ways to to use those nonverbal skills and and that helped him a lot um so and then we had a game called switch so when when things did get a little rowdy it was instead of um you know, uh, having mm. to force the toy. If she yes. had a toy and he had a toy, <laughs> he'd say, okay, switch. <laughs> and then they would just switch toys and it became a game, but then he just wanted to switch everything. <laughs> so, But it, it just yeah. took away from that need of just grabbing things out of her hand. So it's something that we need to teach them, like you said, and and respect that they're, they want to play with something and not necessarily show siblings. Exactly. And it's I think important to do that from the very start. Like we even do that with, um, with Adeline, uh, the youngest um, with the big girls they you know I've taught them from you know the time where she could hold a toy that it's important to not just snatch something out of her hand because you might want that because you know if she's if she's really engaged in that right now we need to be respectful of mm -hmm. her play because her play is also important so um, yeah so I think that having kind of the whole family on mm -hmm. board with the same thing yeah. is really important in developing their understanding of um, of how to go about those sorts of social situations like turn-taking. And uh, I think I have one last question to finish off her talk about play, which I, I enjoyed so much. Thank I you thank for taking you. the it time to speak fun. with me. Um, I think I could summarize all this by saying, you know, we need to respect you know, our kids when it comes to play. They, we need to teach them to respect each other when it comes to play. And as parents, we just need to join their world. And that is play, you know, in a sense. I guess that summarizes a bit yeah. of what we spoke about. Um, but my last question to you is, if you had to pick your top three activities that you've done with your girls that, you know, you would want to, you just want to do over and over again, what would be your top three little activities that you've created? Uh, I guess. Uh, so hard. <laughs> um... Oh. I, I was gonna say five but i brought it down to three <laughs> okay well anything to do with water play is always so much fun for all of us so i think probably our favorite water play is um is our pom-pom baths when i put color a bath with the pom-poms they that is always such a winner um and i always pull that one out on days where everybody's just having a bit of a tricky day we all get into the bath put some food coloring in the bath put some pom-poms or you know anything add anything to the pom-poms definitely it's such a mood changer it just like resets everything i feel just like everybody gets out of the bath and it's like great now it's yeah, like I a agree. whole day <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it's true i agree or water play right would be one of the yes. three activities yeah water play mm -hmm. especially in the bath um oh, i love sensory play i love doing sensory play with them mm -hmm. because i think it's the biggest um 
it, sensory play is like the equalizer. It, you know, any child can engage in sensory play and any child will love sensory play. You know, it doesn't matter if they're, you know, one year old or 10 years old, they are going to mm-hmm. be engaged True. in sensory play. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, all of our sensory play things I really love. Another, probably my mm-hmm. second favorite would be our um, mud, the taste safe mud that we do with cocoa and um, flour and water flower like that's always a winner and I always just put a tub of water next to that and there are so many ways you can adapt that one which is why it's so good you know you put animals in it and they get the animals dirty and then they wash the animals or they drive cars through it Mm -hmm. and then they've got to scrub the wheels of the cars it's something you can just you know add anything to it and make it really fun Mm -hmm. and again something that like any age child I can put that out for all three of them and all three of them will have a great Mm -hmm. time with it which is so great Mm It's a great way to include all your children in different age yeah, groups. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, and then, oh, what would be third? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't, you know, I think you brought up a good point, though. I think that there's a really big aspect of sensory play, and it allows you to play with multiple age groups. It allows them to be focused for a long time uh, and explore and develop all those life skills. Uh, it allows you to speak you know, say certain words and develop yeah, those language, language skills, skills, even with a baby, language. scooping, pouring, yeah. uh, motor skills. So I think sensory play is really um, the one of the most important yes. plays. You know, if I had to pick my and favorite type of play, I think yes, yeah. sensory play would be hands yeah. down would be um, the type of play that I would say is and I agree. recommend well, for any age as yeah. well. <laughs> mm-hmm. I agree. Thank you again so much, Emma, for taking time to speak with Thank me. So I know much. it's late for you and it's early for me. We <laughs> had a really good chat. It's been great. Thank you so much. What a great way to round off the weekend. That's it for today's episode. If you're enjoying our podcast, please take a moment to rate it on iTunes. I will leave some links to some articles on our website. Visit curiousneuron.com, click on podcast and episode 11 for these links. At the end of May, I'll be giving our third virtual class, and this class will be all about the science behind tantrums. If you're interested and want to know when it's available, make sure you subscribe to our newsletter on our website. Until next time, stay curious! Stay curious.